Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, because we're going in there today. This is a new year. Filled with high expectancy. Looking forward to changes, and hopefully it will be different than the last two years. We know about even if it's not. We know God is not the throne. But still, whenever we come to New Year's, we think of the possibilities of what the New Year holds. You know, maybe some of you are looking for a breakthrough in your career. You might be saying that this may be the year when I get that promotion or raise or transfer or something. Maybe some of your couples have that trouble adding little ones to their root. They might be saying, this is the year that God will expand our family. Now, over the past few years, have had some economic impact on people. You know, there have been folks who have gone through some economic hope. And there might be people who are saying this may be the year that our finances turn around. But you know, we're not even just looking at the physical things of, of this earth. You know, churches are looking forward. You know, they're thinking in this new year of, of all the possibilities that can come. This might be the year of great revival that is so needed in the American church. In fact, this may be the year that God brings the next great awakening, something that is oh so needed. But maybe they you know that the greatest expectation, at least as it's given in Scripture, is the expectation of the return of Christ. You know, we look at now, we're into 2022, and we might say this may be the year that Christ returns. And I think we all need for it, if that were true. And I know I say that, and we have to be very careful. I'm not saying that you will return this year. I'm not one of those guys that makes those predictions, you know, that says, oh, yeah, Christ is going to return at 9.02 p.m. on June 3rd, 2020. Remember what happened several years ago, like in 2011, 2012, there was this guy who made those predictions, you know, he said, on this day in 2011, Christ is going to return. Well, that day came and went. So he said, oh, wait, no, I was off by a year. He, Christ is going to return in 2012. Well, we're in 2022 now. It still did not happen. But you know what? It could. This may be the year when it happens. But this, you know, the new all the possibilities. And with those possibilities, you know, maybe the year that the Lord returns, maybe the year of revival, there's a lot of possibilities for the new year. The question we need to ask is how should we live in light of those possibilities? What are the implications of the possibilities of the new year that, you know, uh, all these possibilities, what impact should it have? on our lives. And so as we study this passage in verse Peter, we see, well, you know, Peter himself, the religious was the belief in his day, they all fully accepted for Jesus to return in their lifetime. It seemed very imminent to Peter. Well, if it seemed imminent to Peter, how much more imminent should it be to us 
here 2,000 years later. He longed for the Lord's return. And as we all probably do. And if we're, 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 we're alert, you know, we're going to wake up every day in 2022 saying, you know what, this would be the year of Christ's return. This might not be the year of Christ's return. This might be the year of a great awakening. This might be the year of, of maybe just, just a, a spiritual breakthrough in, in my life. But either way, what are the implications in my life of these possibilities? How should I live in light of the possibilities? What if, what if this is my final year? What if this is the final generation? How should I live? Peter starts the message saying, the end of all things is at hand. Okay, in light of the end of all things being at hand, what should mark our life? And so Peter talks about that. He discusses five activities that we want all activities. Uh, the five traits that, that should mark our lives just because this may be the year. This may be the year for many different things. How now should we live? This Francis Schaeffer would put it. So I will read verses 7 through 11 of 1 Peter 4 and stand in reference to reading God's holy word as I read these verses here. And Peter writes this, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep one and one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, truly, all glory and dominion and honor and majesty and power belong to You. Lord, how we live in light of that. I pray that this is a year that we explore that. So may your word have an impact on our lives, not just this morning, but every time that we get into your word, may it have an impact in who we are in Christ and in what that means for our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what are these five traits that we're talking about? Well, number one, uh, Peter talks about, says, be sensible. Be sensible. In, in verse 7, he says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. You know, some other versions might say something a little bit uh, different, but along those lines. You know, it's not saying, you know, be sober-minded. It's not saying be stoic. You know, have no sense of humor and always uh, be stoic and things like that. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is our lives should be marked by clear minds and sound judgment as given by Scripture. Scripture should... should Guide our thinking. Scripture should guide our decisions and, and our choices. Our, our decisions and choices that we make ought to be sensible in light of Scripture, not sensible in light of the world, but sensible in light uh, of Scripture. And, and so Peter puts this here, especially in light of you know his ideas about the last days. You know, you know we've been in the last days since Jesus first came 
uh, to the Earth. But uh, people who are thinking of like the end of time, the last days, they have a tendency to maybe so obsess over that subject, the nearness of the end of time, that they that they don't live in the here and now. You understand that that tendency, what well, was true even in Peter's day, and it's true in, in our day. Well, I, I, I'm just going to live for Christ's return. All the signs, quote unquote, are that Christ is going to return. Even though those same signs have been around for 2,000 years. But in young people, they start to make maybe irrational decisions. Based upon the idea that well, I'm just going to sit back, Christ is going to return, and, and, and so I'm just going to obsess over eschatology. We do need to study eschatology. And Christ's return has an impact in our life, but we don't neglect the rest of Scripture. Just because we think, oh, yeah, Christ is returning tomorrow, or whatever. This may be the year. Oh, yeah, but it might not and so we, we're sensible. And I think about this because, you know, I mentioned Harold Camping earlier. And he made all these predictions. Yeah, Christ is returning in 2000. Christ is returning in 2012. Whatever. I give this warning because when he made those predictions, quote unquote, there were people who sold off their stuff. And they away all their money and said, all right, Christ is returning. Christ didn't return, and they were left with nothing. I read about this 60-year-old retired engineer. He, he bought into the whole 2011 day that Harold Cameron had given. And so he used his entire life savings to put ads all over the East Coast warning people of the coming judgment. I mean, six figures we're talking about here. Everything he had, he put out there. But he wasn't using clear, clear money. You know, why do you wonder why do people do that? Well, they, 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 they're eager in God's word, I mean, especially the part where nobody knows the day or hour. And you know, they, they, the other thing is they just get so caught up in the frenzy, in the emotion of it all, that they don't follow the rest of Scripture, they don't follow scriptural wisdom. And so Peter says, live, live with scriptural wisdom, live sensibly, live self-controlled and sober-minded. Live according to the whole counsel of God. Don't just hone in on one thing and then Neglect everything else. Live sensible. Live self-control. Live sober-minded. Live according to scripturalism. And, 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 and so he says, be sensible. Now, secondly, something that we, we also need to consider for this year is be perfect. Verse seven. He says, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You know that, that the word again, sober-minded means to be well-balanced, be self. Control, and you wonder what does that have to do with prayer? Well, when, when we come to prayer, you know, when we come to prayer, we're there to relate with God, we're there to communion with 
with God. And so our minds need to be ready for the task. We don't come to God in prayer with our mind clouded and fuzzy and immersed in the things of the world. If our minds are just so obsessed with our favorite music, our favorite TV show, our favorite movie, the things of the world, how are we going to commune with God in the spiritual? If our mind is even obsessed with the, so obsessed with the events of the world, then we don't consider the spiritual again, the sensibilities of, of, of the, entire, uh, the, the entire scripture. You know, how are we going to commune with God when, when we come to God in prayer, we are focused on Him. We're focused on His Word. We don't approach, we don't approach prayer flippantly. We approach it seriously because we're coming in the very presence of God. I mean, yes, we're, we're always in the presence of God because God is everywhere, but you know, we're there for a purpose in prayer. To communicate with God and for Him to communicate with us. And so our minds need to be there. We need to be so minded. We need to be focused on what we're doing, who we're with. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't just approach God like we approach anybody else. He's God, and so our minds are on the task at hand on, on that prayer. Being with Him, you know, if you think about it, if, if for some reason you were invited to the White House to discuss with the President some issue or whatever, some, some matter of national interest. You wouldn't go into the whole office with your head in the clouds and, and your mind preoccupied about oh, what I'm going to have for dinner, what I'm going to do here, what I'm going to do there. You, you would bring in your mind to focus in on the task at hand. Well, we do that with, with prayer as well. But as one man that served, he said, you know what, God puts more value on our prayers than we do ourselves. Because one, we very rarely pray. But even when we, when we do, we're not focused on, on the task at hand. I mean, yes, everyone's mind wanders. You know, some of us, especially for me, my mind wanders more often when we bring it back but, you know, we, 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 we approach prayer so, I don't know, for lack of a better term, laissez-faire. And so it does seem that God cares more about prayers than, than, than we do. But you know what? If you would, this year, come to God in prayer, this series of prayers focusing in while we are praying, I mean, how much you change? Would God bring in our families, in our church, in our nation? Why aren't we, when we pray, first off, we got to pray, but when we pray, why, why are we not there? You know, we, we've, you've heard the phrase, you know, someone might be there physically, but their mind is, is somewhere else. And so, you know, that they're elsewhere. You know, that happens in prayer. I wonder if we're like it because God has so blessed us that we think, and hey, you know, I don't really need anything from God. Or, you know, some of those lines. Well, yeah, we do. We, we wouldn't even have an error we really wasn't from God. 
We wouldn't have the heartbeats that we have if it wasn't for God. So we can't think that somehow oh, I can make it out alone, and that's why we're kind of flipping about prayer. Uh, we need to be so blind about prayer, coming in, in all seriousness. We don't want to wait for disaster to strike to become more serious about prayer. And so we want to be sensible, and we want to be prayerful this year. In light of, you know, the possibilities of what might happen this year. But third, we want to be charitable. We've got to make sure to be charitable. In verse 8, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And love is so important. The Bible says, God is love. And the Bible also says that the world will know that we are his children by the love that we have for one another. But it's not just any sort of love, just the natural reality, whatever. It's a fervent, intense, earnest love where you continue to love people in spite of the roller coaster of events that you go through in life. Every relationship goes through a roller coaster. You have your ups, you have your downs, you have your highs, you have your lows. And everywhere in between. But your love is to remain earnest. It is to remain fervent, intense, through a whole ride. You love someone, even in the lows and the valleys, as much as you do in the highs. Yeah, you know what? It's easy to love someone when things are going great in your lives. But when there's a little friction, which I don't believe there's ever friction between people, then I'm saying that. Forget that, man. And that's not what Christ says. That's not what Peter says. That's not what Christ calls us to. You know, it reminds me of something that Jesus warned about in Matthew 24. He asked that when the day came for him to return, is the love of many going to be cold? Will the love of many have grown cold? And I wonder if we are in a time where we have allowed our love to have gotten cold. Freezing, cold, solid as an iceberg, cold. Where we're just like, forget people, whatever. We're called to an earnest love, is what Peter says. And, and the example that he gives of an earnest love, he says that love covers a multitude of sins. And when he says that, he's not saying that, well, you know what, if you love enough, then all your sins are, you know, taken care of. You know, that's not obviously how it works. The only way for our sins to be covered is by faith in Jesus Christ. He covers our sins. But what, he, what Peter is saying is that when you agape love someone, if you love like the Bible calls you to love, we extend charity for those who have wronged us in some way. Because of the love that is in our lives, reflective of the love shown us by God through Jesus Christ, we are willing to forgive the faults of others, knowing the forgiveness that has been given to us. It's because of the forgiveness that God has given us through Jesus Christ that we love like that. Now, that doesn't mean we just ignore sin. That doesn't mean we justify sin. That doesn't mean we condone sin. That doesn't mean we don't confront sin when needed. 
but it does mean we forgive sinners. And we continue to love. And so that means this fervent love, this love that covers a multitude of sins, means that we don't hold someone's sins around their heads. We don't bring it up years later. We don't try to use it as leverage over them. The love of Christ that is in us extends to them. But the forgiving love of Christ that was given us extends to them. And as Paul described, it is a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so we live charitably for one another. And so be sensible, be prayerful, be charitable, or be hospitable. Verse 9, he says, show hospitality to one another without growing. And you think, well, hospitality would be self-explanatory, but it's real. Just extending yourself out there. Now, there is some cultural nuance to this because of Peter's day, when Christian missionaries, you know, would go from town to town, village to village, I mean, they didn't have a ton of money, and they didn't have, like, holiday inns or Hilton's or whatever for people to say, I mean, yes, there were inns, but, I mean, it wasn't necessarily, you know, like what we think of as a hotel or anything like that, and they were probably pretty expensive. So if Christian missionary making their way from village to village was to do a great work in a village, they would rely upon the hospitality of fellow believers to bring them into their house and, 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 you know, help support them in the, their work. And so they open themselves and their resources up for the work. We also see that in, in, in the fact that they had house churches, right? That's where they went to the church. They didn't have buildings and education wings and gyms and all that other stuff. They met in houses. And so they were open their homes, hospitably, weekly, or daily for meetings and learning. But they were also hospitable towards strangers, so that they would have to be able to give a gospel witness. And so we have things things are different back then. But I mean, we can also be hospitable to our day. We can welcome missionaries into in our home. I remember many, many years ago there was a missionary from India, a worker from India, who was in town. And, and we, we, you know, had him just stay at our house for a few days. It was during Thanksgiving, and so he was part of our Thanksgiving festivities. It was kind of cool. He, he taught us how to play cricket. Never really paid attention to cricket before. Couldn't remember looking at now to save my life. But at the time, it was pretty cool. But then you know, you open yourself up to work at God, opening up your resources, your home. You know, obviously, you need to be discerning about this. I mean, we're not saying, hey, just open up your home to everyone. I mean, you know, then we hear the horror stories of these past murders, whatever. But I mean, you do have to be open to working with people and the opportunities that God gives. Uh, I, I remember reading in the newsletter I would get from a mission, uh, the, 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 this rescue mission in Memphis. And there was a story about this 60-something-year-old man who lived in this abandoned house in the woods for many years, and then he got sick and ended up in the hospital, and then he met up with these two, two ladies. 
who Christian ladies who ministered to him, who took care of him and, and brought him then to the mission so that he could back on his feet. And I thought, you know, that's hospitality. You know, get, you know it's, it's not like, okay, let everyone find a whole source and bring them into your home. You know, we have to be discerning about them. So I mean, you know, I might be. You never know how God orchestrates things. We've got to be open to what God has for us. We have to be hospitable. We can't close ourselves off to everyone. Because when we do that, we close ourselves off to, to meetings that God makes set up for us, divine appointments. We don't want to miss God's divine appointments. And so we have to be open to being hospitable. And then fifth and finally, be helpful. Is the way I call it. In verse 10, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Uh, for a few months now, I've talked about spiritual gifts. And, and if, you, if you want to know your spiritual gift, on the welcome centers and in the you know, foyer back there, the welcome area back there, there's a spiritual gift assessment test. If you haven't taken it yet, do it. And you find out your gift and then use your gift. And we'll help you find a way to use your, your gift. And so we're given these gifts by God, but it's to serve others, right? Peter says, use it to serve one another. We're not given these gifts just so we can feel good about ourselves. We're not given these gifts for our self-esteem. We're not given these gifts for selfish reasons. We're given these gifts so we can exercise them serving, serving others. And there's so many different gifts now. You know, Paul and his letter is a he lists many gifts, and Peter just kind of breaks it down here into two categories. Uh, but then there's somebody, you know, he, he talks about the gift related to speaking, the gift related to service. You know, the gifts related to speaking, like teaching, and prophecy, and encouragement, and, and, and things like, like that. But you know, we, we're not just kind of talking to people with these gifts. You know, that this gift of speech is not just saying anything. That kind of comes to mind. Because he says in verse 11, let him speak as one who speaks oracles of God. And I think that's very important. You're given this gift of teaching. You're given this gift of encouragement. You're given this gift of whatever that has to do with speaking. You don't speak your own words. You speak the words of God. You're not, you're not sharing just whatever kind of gospel you had. You're sharing from the Word of God, the wisdom of God, the Word of God. You know, okay, so I have the gift of teaching, and so I, I use it in preaching. And so when I preach, I don't come up here and just give you, you know, deep thoughts from that. First off, I don't have a lot of deep thoughts. So there's not a whole lot to share up there. I share from the Word of God because that's what is needed. The Word of God is eternal. The Word of God never changes. The Word of God is divine revelation. So if you have, if you have one of those speaking gifts, teaching, encouragement, prophecy, whatever, speak the Word of God. Not your deep thoughts, not your opinions. Did you know that every opinion 
Only scripture. And so the street gives gifts do that. But then when he talks about gifts of service, gifts of ministry, giving, mercy, administration, gifts of health, and you know, some of the things that Paul does. Verse 11 says that, that people that have those kind of gifts there do it with the strength or the ability that God supplies. You know, you're not, you don't rely on your own strength. You don't rely on your own power to accomplish something. There's Holy Spirit power that we draw upon. And so we have these gifts. And so we use them to be helpful to the body of Christ to do the work of God, to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That, that's our motivation, that's our purpose, and hopefully that's our result. It is so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so when you use your gifts, it is so that in everything God is glorified through Jesus Christ. And so I would love that in this new year, 2022, that it is a year where everyone is using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to them for the good of the church, for the good of the kingdom, to expand God's kingdom. And so if this is the year that the Lord returns, He will find you serving Him through those gifts. And so we will use the gifts that God has given. So here we are. A new year has dawned. I pray we're coming to it with anticipation. I pray that we come with through faith. I know we don't have the past two years. It's pretty easy to get a little jaded about, oh my God, another new year. What would you do? It's going to be like the last two years of there. You know what? We trust in God. That even if who knows what's going to happen, you know what? God is still good. Jesus is still on the throne. We're still going to serve Him. But He may return. And so let's live in the possibilities of His return. Let's live in the possibilities that this might be here. He brings pride. He brings a great awakening. And so let's be sensible. Let's be prayerful. Let's be charitable. Let's be hospitable. But let's be helpful. This new year. And so, Christian, you may want to come to the altar and pray for yourself. Lord, may I live in such a way that I'm prepared for your return. I'm prepared for revival. I'm prepared for whatever you have for me. Or come to the altar and pray for the church. But the church in this new year just thrives and is healthy. And, and that God will use this church in powerful ways for his glory. And yet, there are some here, you're not ready for Christ to return. In fact, Christ returning might scare you. Because you know that if you were to leave Christ, you would be condemned if you were to return. Because you haven't trusted in Him yet. You've been doing your thing. You've been looking for the world. You've been looking for self. Today is the day of salvation. During the invitation, I'll be able to come forward. I will tell you the gospel. I will share with you how to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He died for you. He rose in and into eternal life. And 
be saved. Some people think, well, I got to clean up my act first. No, you can't. You can't clean up your act. You come to Christ as you are, and then He's the one that does the cleansing work in your life. So place your trust in Him. Surrender your heart to Jesus today. This may be the year of some great things. May all of us be prepared. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.